This is a Big Z Media Podcast. AltonDailyNews.com. Real people, real stories, all uncensored. This, this is, is Recovery Uncensored, uncensored with Ty Beckel. If you are alone tonight, you can come with us. If you don't have friends or family or people that you trust, we will be your confidants, your sisters and your brothers. We Welcome. To Recovery Uncensored, the number one recovery podcast in the Midwest, sponsored by Gateway Foundation, where we discuss real stories of hope, challenges, and triumphs with real people as we give them the mic to share their journey in a censor-free zone. This is your host, Ty Beckel, and we thank you for all of your support in allowing us to grow. We could not do this without you. We're back here in the Big Z Media Studio with Mike, and I cannot thank him enough. I don't know if Mike remembers me from back in the IHOP days, but uh, I think we're, we're going to discuss that a little bit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, welcome. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, so uh, do you uh, do you remember me from IHOP back in the day? I don't. I hardly remember anything from <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you used to come in there quite a bit with Kevin. Uh-huh. Um, and the tall dude that had the, uh, the uh, uh, not the Chevelle, what's the, the car truck thing? Oh, uh, 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 El Camino. Yeah, I think so. El Camino. Oh, yeah. yeah, the yeah. tall dude that used to come in there. Okay, and El Camino. You remember that guy? I think so. Brandon, maybe. Was that Brandon? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I know Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> you guys used to come. I used to look forward to you guys coming in. It was it was interesting. You guys always had great conversations. Yeah. And uh, way back, man. I mean, yeah. Were you like a busser or a cook? I I kind of did it all. Okay. I mean, I wasn't an official cook, but I'd go back there and help him. And I think they used me for like child labor. I yeah, think I think I, I think I like vaguely remember like you in a, in an apron, you know, yep. like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was me. Yeah, yeah, that's when uh, that's when I got introduced to the older crowd, and they kind of took me under their wing and showed me how to become an addict. <laughs> really <laughs> cool. Yeah, I was, I was glad to glad to meet you when you just got started out with your training. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so I also know you through uh, your sibling, uh-huh. your sister. And and it's really weird. I've done. I've talked to your mom a lot throughout the years. I haven't talked to her much here as as of lately. But yeah. um, you know, I remember when they were talking to me about you, and they were really really worried about you. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think they even tried to set up to where you and I can kind of talk a few years ago, probably about five six years ago. Okay, yeah. Um. So yeah, but you know, you're you're you moved away to Washington State about four years ago, correct? Correct. Yeah. And, um, and you're back. So kind of take us a a little bit of who you are. If you want to go ahead before we really start getting into the interview, tell a little bit, a a little bit about yourself to the listeners and and kind of fill them in. Um, well, I mean, I'm, uh, who am I as a person entirely in a, in a few words? Um, I, uh, I write, I'm, I'm a writer and you're a fabulous writer, by the way. Thank you. Um, and uh, I like to play Magic the Gathering, and I'm an addict. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a recovering addict. Um, I mean, there's there's a, there's a whole bunch to tell. Uh, oh, I'm a I'm a I'm a construction worker by day. That's my that's my trade. Um, that's how I almost pay the bills. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's me um, in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah, and we're going to kind of get into that because you're a father, too, and stepfather. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, husband. Yep. And so when when we met, now now going back, this is back quite a few years, mm-hmm. were were you dabbling in drugs and alcohol then? or? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I was, I was pretty, uh, I think uh, it was, I was 10, I'd say. When like the first time I got like wasted. Oh really? Didn't yeah. So um, yeah, it was it was my uh, it was my cousin's tenth um, birthday party. We had a party. We got a hold of you know uh, a little bit of booze, and I remember there was like we had like a, a fifth of Jack Daniels and and a forty ounce and. I, I just first time, my first time really messing with it, not taking sips off of the leftover cups at like, you know, the VFW or whatever. Um, 
I got completely, completely obliterated. Um, this is at 10. That was 10. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So did, were, were you like uh, a lot of people where you kind of fell in love with it right away? It was, yeah, it was, it was exactly what I was looking for. It was, I, 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 I thought this, this turns my brain off right. and it's kind of like all I had ever wanted. <laughs> was, was your to, brain just to kind of shut up for yeah, a minute? Yeah. Just shut up. Just, I don't want to think. Yeah. And I, I didn't have to. And so, yeah. So I spent a lot of my life pursuing that. So after your first time drinking at 10, Uh when did you drink next? Was it kind of like, was it an every weekend thing or did you, any chance you got, did you try to drink? Any chance I got, I don't know. I wouldn't say I was like really fully, um, I wasn't really on the the every weekend thing for a couple of years. I was probably about 12 when I was like, you know, I managed to get a routine down of, you know, just going to do this as much as possible. Much as possible. Yeah. At 12. Yeah. yeah. I, I was a little bit later. Um, but I remember being in junior high and lying about wanting to drink just because people said they were drinking and I wanted to find a way to fit in. Right. Cause I, I was kind of like you, my brain just never shut up. I was always in there thinking about things. I never felt like I fit in. Yeah. I still, I mean, I still don't, I, I think I talked about this on the last episode. I still don't feel like I'm from here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm from a different planet, you know, yeah. with a lot of things. So 12 years old drinking, any chance you got, um, what came next after the, after the alcohol? Well, it was, uh, it wasn't too long after that, that, um, like a friend convinced me to like, to try pot. Um, it's kind of hilarious in retrospect, like just completely, you know, alcohol is like a very destructive poison and i was fine with that because i was in uh you know i was i was it's I like the dare program and things like that so i thought you know i i made that delineation between legal and illegal like somehow this is okay and then this stuff is 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 awful because it's illegal um until somebody convinced me to try it and then i was like oh okay yeah this is <laughs> this, yeah. this is kind of rad um yeah. Yeah, so that was like the next thing, um, and uh, after that, I was really that really kind of opened the door to me trying to. I wanted to experiment with. I wanted to try all the things, you know, um, states of consciousness as many as I could. So, uh, yeah. So after that, it was kind of like all hands um, on deck, just yeah. whatever you can get. Yeah, I was searching at that point. Yeah. yeah. For, for, I mean, you know, when we, you hear a lot of people talk about chasing the dragon, yeah. correlating that to um, heroin. Right. But I mean, I think it's the same thing, you know, trying to figure out a way to escape if that, if that's what we want to call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. If we're like looking for our first, if we're so hung up on our first time, then like it's, as soon as you try something new, you get a first time with that. Right. So, you know, it's like, what else is out there? Right. What else is out there? Yeah. So what was kind of going on with, um, with mom or dad or both were any of them in the picture at the time uh my mom you know it's like uh my dad was he was um he's around as much as he could he was both of my parents were young uh so my mom was kind of overwhelmed you know she had she had three of us and then she had four of us and and uh was kind of doing most of it on her own um and my dad was you know I'm going to pressure while going around and try, you know, he was, he was out. I think he was out trying to find himself or, or whatever, or, you know, trying to hold it together and do the best he could. Um, you know, so I saw him, you know, uh, not as much as I'd like, but, uh, I kind of, I kind of was angry at him Mm -hmm. for that for a while, but then like on retrospect, like being a father myself and kind of being, being a fuck up, I kind of realized that, you know, like it's not, it's not easy. Um, uh, so yeah, my mom was, was working, you know, taking care of all of us and trying to hold it together. So, you know, I spent a lot of my life kind of being, being the oldest, trying to help her, you know, trying to be there as much as I could, um, as somebody to help run the household. So, so you kind of took on like the hero role. You're right. Right. Try to help her out. Single mom. And yeah. it sounds like at, at a young age, you realize like, man, this is kind of tough on her. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, I think a lot of us want, want to be accepted. And, and I'm saying this from my perspective, my father was in and out and it bothered me a lot, you know, like I wanted him around more, but I tried not to be mad at him, but then I would get fucking furious at him, you know, this whole ebb and flow uh, of feelings. So when you just drank for the first time at 10, was that one of the things that kind of helped um, quiet your brain? Like, you know, like you didn't have to think about the, the acceptance. Uh, yeah, that's a big, that's a big part of it. I, I, uh, I was just thinking in general, but I mean, I really, uh, I don't know. Like I, I, I have like, I still have like imposter syndrome. Like I don't, I don't feel like I belong anywhere. I don't, I've never felt like I, uh, I feel like everybody's lying when they tell me mm-hmm. who they think I am, you know, like they're just placating me and my ego. And like, I, I like to say that, like, I don't even feel like I have real imposter syndrome like other people do. <laughs> like, yeah. like I have imposter syndrome about having imposter syndrome. Like I don't, uh, that's a conundrum, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I really don't, I, I, I struggle to, to think that I am, worth anything um and then so i kind of like sometimes i just have to logically tell myself this is what other people say if everybody's saying it then like maybe i'm the one who's wrong you know yeah and that's a heavy load to carry around when we're at such a young age yeah um and, and it sounds like helping mom was a way for you to to try to find yourself a little bit even in, in maybe even during using yeah. the drugs it it, it get, gives us a sense of purpose if you will like like we do belong like we're of value yeah you know because i struggle with that even still today but not as bad as i used to yeah but um you know you, you mentioned the imposter syndrome that's like it's like one day i think i'm a great writer the next day i'm like man i'm just a piece of shit right you exactly know? it's like what the hell's wrong with me yeah i think and, it i think it's a big issue that we compare ourselves you get we you compare yourself you compare yourself to everyone else in the entire world. Yeah. So it's like if you're in competition with everybody else in the world, you know, then, yeah, you're going to fall short on that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm not the best at this thing or the best. And everybody else has you look at you look at your your social media feed and you say, well, I'm everybody else collectively has all their shit together so much better than I do. Yeah. Well, yeah, as a group, they do. Pick one person out individually, and they and they're going to have the shortcomings and the same struggles that you have, yeah. you know. But. And social media is, you know, a, a lot. I, some people are pretty honest, but yeah, it's, it's trying to highlight the best of what's going on, right? So it's a, it, I think it, it's a, you know a, a false predicate of hey, they look like they got it going on, but if we like you kind of said you you yeah. take that person out and you kind of self examine it and then ta- start talking to them. Like, oh man, you really don't got your shit together. <laughs> right. Exactly. And then yeah, if you want to break that down, and then and then you've got people who, you know, and also, and not to blame them or anything, you know, because you don't I found I found pretty early on when the the, the, the internet first became a real thing, that like you don't you can't be a hundred percent honest because it also that affects other people, you know. Yeah. You know, like I want to go on say everything, uh, you know, just be completely 100% honest, but there's other people involved in that, you know, and you can't. What was that? that Ricky Jervis and the golden globes. I don't know (laughs) when he did. Did you see that clip from like last year where he he was hosting it? I don't know if it was a golden globes, but I mean, he like unleashed all types of stuff and like Steven Spielberg made like a really crazy face. Like, why is he saying all this stuff? Uh Yeah. it, it It was bizarre. But yeah, I mean, it, it is. And, and when we think about it and we kind of tie that into like the addiction and mm-hmm. what we used to do, um, we were being honest to ourselves, if that makes sense. Like yeah. we were using and being so honest with ourselves with what we were doing. Yeah. We were affecting those around us uh, in a way that we necessarily didn't realize. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's self-centeredness, right? I mean, place in your uh, my need to be honest is more important than your anonymity or your, you right. know, privacy. It's, 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 it's a self-centered thing, you know, oh, yeah. which a lot of people don't think about that. 
they think they always think of brutal honesty as like it's a sacrifice you know like i'm making a sacrifice i'm speaking about something that's embarrassing like you're embarrassing somebody else so right you know oh yeah it's definitely pick and choose and um and i think that's you know when when we grow up i remember when i was in junior high and kind of being brutal honest our teachers were like talk i don't know i don't know if it was like because in seventh grade they did dare again like yeah in fifth grade and seventh grade they did like a short uh touch up you know like yeah um and they were talking about you know uh families and drinking and i told my my teachers that my my father was an alcoholic <laughs> and i came home and told my dad that and he flipped out and I told him that because it was really weird. I was writing a whole Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing about it because it was a way because I've always written since I was young to kind of yeah, deal, deal with it. Yeah. yeah, with things. And and it's really weird as I got older and, you know, recovery literature started talking about the Jekyll uh-huh. and Mr. Hyde thing. I'm like, oh, wow, that's weird. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, so with you helping mom, 10, 12 years old, drinking taking any chance that you can get with anything you can get your hands on. Pretty much, yeah. Um, where, where does that take you in like high school? Um, well, I mean, first off it, it became definitely a hindrance to furthering my education. The way I, I probably could have done better um, with that because I had a bit of a mind. Um, secondly, I was, I was probably um, 16 when I developed a, uh, an issue with cocaine and um at the time when that happened um i there's an incident that happened where um somebody close to me was sexually assaulted by my coke dealer um and i uh witnessed it i could hear it um but i couldn't stop it because he had a guy like guarding the door and that was probably the most traumatic one of the most traumatic experiences of my life um that really messed me up um so uh i first off i blame myself for years i was haunted by the experience. I also didn't, I didn't believe that I had, um, any, any right to feel, um, some type of way about it because it was the, the thing physically did happen to somebody else. Um, and it took me until I got into, um, recovery and I was at, you know, a group where people were sharing a lot about their experiences in that area. Um, that was the first time I opened up about it. And somebody told me like, Oh yeah, like every right to be fucked up about this, you know? So yeah, that was, that was hard. And that's, um, I'd say one of two things that really, you know, that and the infant death of a, of a close relative that, like really kind of you know it was very traumatic for you yeah so you were you were holding on to these things for quite a while <sighs> yeah and being someone who gets in their head and probably over overthinks yeah you um that's pretty heavy stuff man yeah and um did you feel with with the addiction um how much of the I assume there's this downward spiral where things just start getting a little bit more out of control. Yeah. Things compound on each other and um, it doesn't take long. It didn't, I don't, it doesn't feel like it took me long before I was really where the idea of self-destruction became the point, you know, I don't know about if it's everybody's like this, but I got to a point where it was like, um, this is killing me. Good. You know, like I said, you know, is I'd say out of everything, you know, alcohol is my biggest. That was my first love. And that was the thing I love the most, you know, um, because oblivion was always the goal. Right. You know, and nothing, nothing does oblivion like booze, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. nothing just 
gives you nothing <laughs> like booze does, you right. know. So, um, yeah, yeah, I want it. I want it. So you you self-inflicting pain. You got this self-injurious yeah. type of uh, descent. Mm-hmm. You're just like I'm not fucking worth it. I'm yeah. I'm I, I'm I'm okay yeah. with destroying myself. And yeah, and then another big part of it was all my worst problems are things that happened to somebody else. You know, well, I'm what a piece of shit. <laughs> like that was that was my that was my thinking at the time. Yeah, yeah and you know, and 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 I know you enough that you're you're a pretty caring guy yeah. and you're very um you're an empath uh i would think and you know yeah, i think so you know and, and caring for people and you know me working in the industry that i do it, it gets sometimes hard secondary trauma yeah. is hard um and because we always at least for me even today i'll be like is there more that i could have done could i've done something different because like there was this um person that through the hospital that passed away uh, less than a week after we we saw him, and I cried about it. Yeah. I cried, and I'm like, I don't I don't talk about it to many people. Well, now I am, but <laughs> you know, and it, it was really uh, it was hard. So, and we absorb that, and we want to help people, and you know, I, and I think a lot of us, being wounded healers or whatever we want to call, it, we would love to take other people's pain away. Yeah, you know, because uh, we see it and. You hearing that, I can only imagine hearing that and and hearing the screams and the screeches and uh, the domination from the assaulter. Yeah, it was, was, I've never felt powerlessness like that, you know, and it was, it's, it's crushing. I mean, it's, yeah, it was, it's pretty bad. It's. You know, yeah. You know, it's like, what can you do? What can you do? I mean, I was a child. You know, yeah. well, and 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 here we are. We're going through this this journey of you're beating yourself up, mm-hmm. and your uh, any any chance you get, it sounds like I don't care anymore. Yeah. Um. So with that and alcohol and cocaine, what what came after this? Like, what was it? Because I'm, I'm sure you, you probably dabbled with some type of hallucinogens, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah. LSD and mushrooms, that kind of thing. Well, it was, you know, whenever you get your hands on it sort of thing. Um, I don't know. I enjoyed it. It was what it was. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to, like, uh, kind of, like, try to justify anybody using it all, you know. But um, for me, I don't know. It just didn't seem to figure into, like, really – Part. I don't. I didn't ever thought of it as part of my addiction. Maybe it was just because I couldn't get my hands on it as often. Um, but yeah, yeah, just experimented with everything I could, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, I will say that, like, so I guess I was also doing opiates back then. Um, mm-hmm. There was a time when I was fourteen or fifteen, I think, where I overdosed on codeine. And I remember being like one of the first one of my friends to take um, Vicodin because uh, we were all over at my friend's house playing cards. And I went, I was like, I'm going to go look through your parents' medicine cabinet. So I go and I look through their medicine cabinet and I was like looking at stuff. And I'm like, I was like, hydrocodone. And I was like, that kind of sounds like codeine. <laughs> so I started shoveling it in my mouth, go back and playing cards with everybody and wait to see what happens. And um because I was the I was the guinea pig. That was what I did. Uh, I, when we were young, I was always the guy who would like. Because we didn't have a physician's desk reference, we didn't have the internet, you know. So I would say, like, try these, Mike. Tell them what. Tell us what they do to you. Kind of uh, like the food tester for the king. Make yeah. sure there's no poison. <laughs> right. Is this drugs? Like, um, here's my contribution to our circle. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I told him I was like, oh my god, guys. These are great. I think these are even better than codeine. And nobody believed me. So I said, fuck it. And I took another five from myself. Uh, yeah, I was like, Yo, you guys don't want to believe me? Well, too bad. So, right. yeah. More um, for me. <laughs> yeah. So I was like taking a lot of pills. And, and, the, and you said you overdosed from, from this experience? Or? No, that was a different experience. That was codeine. Like okay. actual codeine. Uh, okay. Yeah. I just It was like a slight overdose. Like I took like 15 pills. I ended up overdosed. 
we were very young um, and my friend had a, a girlfriend who was a stripper. And we must have been 17 then. Maybe we were 17 because I did when I think we were 17. And she and she like I think she might have saved my life. I don't remember. Everything gets all jumbled up. Right. You know, <laughs> but uh yeah. Yeah, I was I didn't go to the hospital or anything like that. It was just like it was close though. And, and really when you think about it, I mean 16, 17 is fairly young. At least cut through my through my lens, through my eyes. With my, you know, equating it to my experience, because like, I remember when people would do cocaine, I'm like, no, like, you know, (laughs) I I was drinking and I was like, no, you can't do cocaine. That's horrible. I'll never do cocaine. Well, you know, fast forward a few years, I ended up doing cocaine, but I was always like, no, get out, crack. No, get out. (laughs) Yeah. Spoiler Uh, alert. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I mean, that's, and and I think because, you know, my daughter is. Uh, you know, she just turned 15. Yeah. And I'm like, that's how old I was when I started smoking pot. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was on my descent, me and my father were having problems and uh, I didn't feel accepted. And I, I was always looking at this poverty lens. Like I'm, I'm stuck in this poverty and life sucks. Why does everybody else have all the stuff that I don't, <laughs> you know? And then when I started working, I overcompensate. I always had to buy nice things because this will make me fit in. Uh, yeah. People will like me then, and um, it's just again. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is just such at such a young age, you're doing cocaine, yeah. and this is when we're supposed to be trying to figure out who we are, right? And this is becoming your identity. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is like doing any kind of during puberty. When you use during puberty, it just it. I think it, pers- you know, I think it has so much it affects your brain chemistry so much in your development in a way that's um, I've noticed, I've noticed like being talking to people who are in recovery and recovering addicts. There is, there are like the addicts who started using before puberty, the addicts who started using during puberty and then the addicts who started using as adults. And there is like a difference and you can like, Mm -hmm. there are certain nuances to it's Jake, there are different categories, different nuances to, and it's a different, it does a different thing than, than say, you know, becoming an addict when you're, you know, a fully grown adult, which is over 25, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ever use drugs until you're over 25 kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a, uh, and it, it, it's weird because you do see it working in the industry. You do see it when you find out their timeline. Yeah. And you, cause when we grow and we learn, we, we develop some life skills and some of us didn't have that opportunity to learn those. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, honestly, if it wasn't for my grandmother for those six years, um, I don't think I would have learned what I was able to learn. Just, just a fraction right. about life and how to take care of things. Like I never learned how to use my hands. Like, you know, I admire you for being able to do construction. Yeah. Like I want to learn that I've been, you know, I'll watch videos and I'll do things and, but I'm not good at it. And I, I'm looking to get, uh, better at it. I never, you know, nine something years ago, I wouldn't have admitted that out loud, but you know, it is what it is. And um, we learn things. And some of us, and my grandmother in those seven, six, seven years taught me some things about how to treat people, uh, how the world kind of really is uh-huh. and how to protect yourself, uh, how to balance a checkbook, how to separate whites from colors. You know, she was yeah. a grandma. She was like, you know, grandmas today aren't like, you know, the white hair glasses and, you know, wearing like a brooch yeah. <laughs> or anything. Um, you know, grandmas today are like, like, I don't know. Like just remind me of moms just yeah. with the grandma title, right? you know, like what we think visually, if you don't mind, I, I would love for us to come back. See, see what happens after this, uh, this, this descent, this downfall, the, the spiral, uh-huh. um, and kind of go from there and see see where where it took you. Uh-huh. Um, are you cool with us taking our first break? Yep. All right, everybody, we will be right back. Real people, real stories, all uncensored. This is Recovery Uncensored with Ty Beckel. It's time to get serious about your drug or alcohol problem. It's going to cost you your job, your marriage, your family, and possibly your life. But there is a proven answer. For 50 years, the Gateway Foundation has helped over 1 million people just like you turn their lives around and free themselves from addiction. 
We can tailor an individualized treatment program to meet your needs and situation, from outpatient to residential options, at one of our 13 in-state locations. You can get the help you need to get your life back under control. And if you have private insurance, treatment may be of little or no cost to you. But we can't help you if you don't call us. Please, one of our counselors is ready to have a confidential conversation with you right now at 1-877-629-4829. That's 1-877-629-4829. Call 1-877-629-4829 before it's too late. This is Recovery Uncensored with Ty Beckel. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. We are back here with Mike, and we found out 16, cocaine, um, mad at himself. Um, when, you know, we're, I know heroin became your thing. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, it, it became the, the, uh, the not the cascading, but like the arching goal with what really kind of consumed you um, in yeah. the end, right? It tends to make itself heroin is one of those drugs that really tends to make itself the focus right <laughs> you know yeah it's definitely needy yeah um, it, it definitely uh gets jealous it doesn't want to deal with it doesn't like dealing with other you know you know it'll 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 get down and party with some meth sometimes but it really likes being the center at least at yeah. least focus on me that's how it kind of is so with with, with you know you, you kind of mentioned that you didn't do uh, as well in high school as you'd like. And, you yeah. know, it sounds like you were a little distracted <laughs> by some things. And, you know, after high school, what kind of happened um, w- once you once you graduated school? Um, I uh, was allowed to um, graduate on time, even though I was short in English credit. So that summer, I went to Lewis and Clark and took an English course over the summer to actually make my graduation official so i went to i started going to college right out of high school um ironically enough uh i come to find out when i went to a construction training program at lewis and clark that i uh did not actually graduate high school the credit that i got at the college never was put through so i had a um i had an associate's degree without having a high school diploma um, through some sort of clerical anomaly. <laughs> so loopholes. Governments, governments find them all the time. It was kind of interesting. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I was applying for that program. And they're like, they're like, uh, you don't have a high school diploma. And I was like, that's funny. Cause I have a college degree. So was it the, uh, like the youth build program that they had out there? Or? It was, uh, no, it was, it was youth build is for youth. We we're in the same building as that. It was a highway construction careers training program, okay. which cool. is like that's for adults. It's a, it's a very good program. You learn a lot. They they pay a stipend, and yeah, it was very good. Yeah, I th- I'm I'm almost certainly. I know they got the youth build still going on. I'm pretty sure they still got the the highway construction thing going on. Yeah, cool. So so you, you get your associate's degree. You go like, hey, I want to do this program now. Yeah, I want to learn a little bit about a trade. Yeah, and they're like. What? You can't do that. So were you able to get into that program still? Yeah, they had to go. I had, I think I actually, yeah, I actually had to go to Roxanne High School and get um, transcripts. And then they had to talk to each other back and forth and get it worked Minor out. Minor inconvenience. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's when I, that's when I graduated high school about four years ago. <laughs> so the, is this where you kind of picked up your, your construction? Like, do you, do you um, like construction? Is it something that yeah, you like Yeah, it's something do? I enjoy. I had done it. Um, I had done like deck building a few years before, before that um, with my brother-in-law. And so it was just, it's the thing I enjoyed. And I just got to a point um, in my life where I was like, I want to make 
it's about time to have like a career. So, so I picked that up and I was like, I don't know. It was almost like throwing a dart at a dartboard. I, I just picked that. Or spinning the globe and saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, I, I've got a few things that I can do that I'm good at, but I, I picked, I picked construction. That's it's, it's enjoyable. It's, you know, it's nice being outside and staying in shape easily, yeah. <laughs> you know? So. so what's it like when, when, you know, you start a project and you finish, like, what is that like when, when you look at it and you were able to be part of that, that completion? Uh, it's, it's very nice. It's, I mean, we've only got, I've been doing this job for about eight months. Uh, so there's only been like a few projects that have actually reached, you know, an end, you know, well, well it's just some small stuff and then some stuff I came in toward the end of, but, you know, jump here and there. And, uh, I've only seen a few, you know, been back, been by a place that we've started, you know, and that's been to completion. And, uh, cause you know, we do a lot of big projects, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's, there's sometimes five or six different subcontractors and sometimes, you know, the general is not, um, like we got one, it might be done right now and I'd like to go there and look at it, but I don't really think it's probably a good idea to just drive around <laughs> people's neighborhoods, you know, like <laughs> when I'm not officially, you're like, I did that. Yeah. Can I come look at your kitchen? Um, <laughs> <laughs> knocking on the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like one of those movies where somebody goes to their old house <laughs> that they grew up in. Can I look around? Yeah. No. I always think about that because I grew up on, uh, I grew up a portion of my life on Penning uh-huh. in Wood River. Yeah. And I used to, I remember, because when I was a young kid, I was kind of, I don't, I don't know if I was like full blown destructive, but like <laughs> I like to put my name everywhere. And I remember walking through <laughs> grocery stores and poking the, the cellophane on like meats, say, ha. Ah. <laughs> ruin you know you can't have that steak tonight you know what i mean just yeah. like um if i can't have it nobody can you know what i mean type <laughs> of mentality but i think because at this house on pinning i remember putting my name ty all over the walls yeah so i wonder if they got it covered up i'm curious about that yeah yeah we might have to go there pretending to, to be go. like salespeople. <laughs> can i look around yeah. I'm, I'm here to inspect yeah <laughs> the inspector. basement specifically <laughs> so you, you pick up the construction and it's something you like to do. When when was the first time that um, heroin came into play for you? This was, it was a, years and years ago. Uh, it was when I first tried it. You know, a friend that um, I used to play magic with and we, we I'd take pills and stuff like that, you know. And um, every once in a while, he would have like a little bit of heroin. And so, you know, I tried it um, sporadically, you know, once every few months, maybe. Um, okay. Then, um, when I got with my kids, uh, mom, she was staying with us. We were living together. I would occasionally, I was, it was, again, I was taking pills. I would take heroin sometimes instead. Um, but uh, yeah, that just eventually developed to the point where it was the thing that I was using mainly, you know, um, and then, yeah, then a few years of that, or not a few years, a couple a year. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know. I have no ability to keep track of time. Uh, <laughs> so I, I eventually it got to the point where just one day we were out and that was the f- time. That was when I first tried injecting it because I, you know, I was out. I was dope sick. And I was told that, you know, like you can take this little bit of scrapings and you can actually get it into your system if you inject it. And that was, you know, that was when I first tried injecting it. And then it was kind of, then things were really off and running at that point, you know? So, yeah. I remember uh, train spotting, you know, growing up watching that saying, I'll I'll never do that stuff. I'll never (laughs) do that. But, you know, when, you know, after I, I, I did heroin, I, I thought of that movie. And then I, and I always go back to that movie when he's trying to detox. Like when I watched it before, I never truly understood it. Like when they would lock him in the room and, <laughs> and he's like, he can't get comfortable and he sees <sighs> the baby crawling. And then, you know, after, you know, uh, my, my experience, <laughs> I understood that scene so much more. Yeah. Um, I understood that movie so much better <sighs> after what I went through. Yeah. Um, you know. You know, I'm not saying that I went through what I went through just to try to understand train spotting because <laughs> there's some type of blind spot, but it was, um, it's such a, a, a such an unfulfilling, empty life. Yeah. You know, like we were talking earlier, heroin just 
It doesn't want you to have any other relationships. It um, just literally wants to squeeze every last bit out of you. Yeah. So, you, like you said, you 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 were it, it it was off. Like after after the injection, it was off. Yeah. Take us kind of through what happened after that. You mean like how I found like recovery? Or, well, or- I mean, kind of getting into you know you were um, were you working? Did that start affecting your job? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, well, that like became my job, right? You know, it was like my family was living together, so it was always. To be perfectly honest, it's like hard to remember much about what happened during that time. It's like such a haze. So um, kind of just and all kind of blended together. Yeah, like I don't remember if I was doing anything for a living. I don't know. No matter what, it was like getting people dope, scrimping and scraping, and and you know trying to make little deals and yeah. whatever to try to, to try to keep off sick. I mean, it was just, well, you said it perfect. It, be, it became a job. It, it became was, your job. It's exhausting too. People say it's like a full-time job, but the truth is you work like 80 fucking hours a week, you yeah. know, like a full-time job is only 40 hours, you know, like being a junkie is like, that is like, that's a lot of fucking overtime. And, and we're not getting time and a half, you know? Yeah, I mean? exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. It's like an understatement to say it's a full-time job. I mean, come on. Yeah, for sure. So did you, was there any type of legal trouble? Did you get any type of? So everything that came to a head, I, um, there was a time when I had, I had abscesses, right. And, um, gout, I didn't know at the time I was very sick, laid out on my living room floor for like quite a, quite a number of weeks. And somebody who came over to my house was doing dope with him, and she overdosed. And we called the uh, – I tried to start trying to resuscitate her, but we ended up having to call the cops. I always called the cops when somebody overdosed. I'm never going to let somebody die over that. And at the time, my kid's mom had a warrant, so she went down to the basement to hide. And usually when something like this would happen, she would take the, the baby with her. Um, we'd had a kid at this point. Um she just forgot. So it was just me, the girl who overdosed, and my son, Markovius. And the cops came. They took him because the place was a mess. And, you know, they were like, um, I thought it was kind of messed up. that They said that, you know, he's got her or used syringes all over the floor. I mean, there was one that had fallen out of the arm of the girl who overdosed. But, you know, at that point, uh, my life had gotten to the point where I just said, um, I need the help. So I called my sister um, to take my son, and uh, I was charged with uh, child endangerment. And I had just thought, I just thought, this is how I'm going to have. I was asking for help. The universe gave me help because that's what this is. And I just saw it as that, and decided it was time to get, you know, to use this opportunity to get help. And I did. You did, yeah, great. And and what kind of help did? help did you get it was actually i mean it still took quite a while ended up getting um a social worker and uh assistance with that i mean i still i still had a ways to the bottom um the how the help was there you know um did medically assisted treatment um all that sort of thing but it never it never quite took so that but that was like the start of me wanting to do something and basically what happened was i had a service plan to try to get my son back I worked on it. Eventually, I got to the point where I was homeless and and living on the streets and staying with friends, you know, couch surfing, that sort of thing. It got to the point where I had a t- my task worker suggested that I go to a rehab. It was not the rehab I wanted to go to. I wanted to go to Gateway. Um, and then, but they got me in it, uh, preferred family health care up in Quincy. And so I went there and it... Uh, went really well. I really enjoyed it. Um, I got introduced to, you know, kind of 12-step programs there. I got home. And the first thing I did when I got home was I took a flicky out of one of the old people, uh, those one capsules, flicking shit out of it and and injected it. And then went and collected my 30-day key tag. Um, you know, on a lie. Uh I told myself that because I didn't get high, because it was such a small amount, I didn't get high that it didn't count. Right. Um, so I did that for a few months. And then I swear to God, I went to um, a meeting 
and my wallet got snagged. Like my keychain on my wallet got snagged, and all of my key tags came off, right? And this was when I had my actual 90 days. I found all of them except for the one, my 90 day tag. So I went to a meeting, told on myself, admitted what I had done, and got an authentic 90 day tag. And uh, that was that was like the start. <laughs> my journey was like learn something about honesty, yeah. for sure. You know, through that honesty, I think that's when we uh, we get to truth because there's kind of this activating event. Yeah. Because you know, for me, you know, getting to the truth was realizing what I did to other people and how bad I I went down the scale. And it was it was part of that whole process, so I could heal. Mm-hmm. And then once I was able to kind of heal and forgive myself, I could start trying to heal other relationships. You know, you know if if they were meant to be. Yeah. You know, some people still didn't want to talk to me, which you know that's all right. That's all right. I um. So I th- I think that's great, man. And you know, it's it's like one of those. Just do it. Just just go ahead and say it. Just put it out there. Stop lying. Yeah. You know, it's like you can like hear your <clears throat> swallow and like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. Close your eyes and say, okay, this is what really happened. Yeah. Yep. Pull the bandaid off. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of liberating though, right? Yeah. It's very, very much so. So, and this is kind of where recovery, right? Where recovery yeah. started getting kind of serious. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did, a, I was about eight months of, um, you know, just, basically being clean, going to meetings and kind of surviving on that. And I, I relapsed. I ended up in a situation like that. I wasn't particularly happy with like staying in somebody's basement, you know, and just didn't have a lot going on for myself. And, and so I ended up relapsing and using a handful of times. And then I got up and I got back on the horse. And then I finally really started letting, I said, I like to think of it as like letting the universe guide me. And mm-hmm. that's when I found, um, that's when I ended up staying with my aunt my uncle had passed away, and so she was kind of wanting somebody around, and I was wanting somewhere stable that I could stay, you know. So I went and I moved out there with her for a while. And, and where was this? This is uh, in Bunker Hill. It's like a Bunker. big, beautiful farm and, you know, very idyllic, and and it's a very good environment to be in. And, yeah, so that's when, that's really when I, I think I, I started getting – really learning how to be. I mean, cause I feeling some connection with the universe and yeah. developing some mindfulness and yeah. And not trying to fight, you know, just trying to fight to be, everybody has this perception that it's like, it's, it's a particularly American ideal that like we have to, you have to leave your house at 18 years old. You got to stick up for yourself and, you know, pull yourself up by your fucking bootstraps. And it's ridiculous. And people, you know, people end up with shit lives because they feel like they have to be so independent and it's, it's an illusion. None of us are independent. We all depend on each other yeah. and staying with your family until you can build a life that you want and you can be proud of is that's, there's nothing to be ashamed of there. Oh yeah. Um, for, for, and, and, and I, and this part in your life, your, your aunt kind of helped you get yeah, there. Right. Yeah. It was okay for us to rely on each other because she was, you know, she had lost someone. She wanted someone around. I needed help getting my life together. If you don't realize it, you just, it's like, it doesn't, it's not all transactional, right? It doesn't all have to be, I'm taking something from you and I'm giving something to you. And we just see all of our relationships as this sort of like this transactional business type arrangement. What am I getting out of this? What am I putting into it? You know, and there has to be a one-to-one exchange or I have to be turning a profit, hopefully. You know, and that's how we, we shouldn't look at our interpersonal relationships that way. People help each other, you know. I think a community is greater than the sum of its parts, and that is true of a household, that is true of a community at large. And, you know, we should really view our relationships as as something less mathematical, I guess you'd say, you know. Yeah, and I I think that's really beautiful, man. Really, uh, you know, when when we think about how we are, you know, the uh, interpersonal relationships that we have and how we're, we're, we're taught that we have to do this and we have to do that. And that's one thing with recovery. It teaches you that, wait a second, everything that I thought was kind of, <laughs> put in your words, an, an illusion. Yeah. You know, and um, there there are different ways 
to do different things and community. I, you hear me talk about community all the time. I probably talk yeah. about so much. People are like, just shut up about community. <laughs> Stop talking about it. But, you know, I think that, that we all have a way to help each other and we all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. You know, it's like when I see someone that can play music, like, a, you know, a musical instrument really well, I'm like, my God, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, and they have a, an, an intelligent intelligence that I don't have. You know, could I maybe sit down and learn the piano and stuff? Maybe. Yeah. But I beat myself up and says, I can never do that. That's just <laughs> way too hard. I can never do that. Yeah. And I think, you know, w- with what you said, when I went to, because I went away to a long-term recovery home, it was kind of like that. It was, you know, everybody had a part to do something. Mm-hmm. And it was just this idea of fellowship. And at least for me, I kind of look back and says, you know, we all have something that we can offer and all have something that, you know, we can lift each other up. Yeah. You know, cause I could tell you there were some people that they didn't know how to do chores. Yeah. They, they didn't know. Like it was, it was an eye opener. They didn't even know how to sweep. Right. And like, it gave you a moment to kind of say, Hey, you know, I never wanted to put anybody really on blast, but like, can I show you something? Like you pull them aside, say, can I show you something? Right. You know, and just say, Hey, this is a suggestion. you know, we learn a lot about that suggestion <laughs> and I made a lot of good friends. Um, Right. That you know, I haven't some I haven't seen in a while. Some will pop up on social media from when I was there. So yeah, I think that, that you know, friendship and family and, and the way that we socialize, I think it's changing. Yeah, and I think we're really in this big, I like I don't know what you want to call it, but like you know, you were kind of mentioning the whole mathematical uh, tie. <laughs> yeah, that that it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, you don't always have to balance. You know, the the what you're getting out of out of a out of a fucking relationship and i don't i i don't know i think we do our children a lot of a disservice to tell them that they are a burden on us if they live with us you know till they're 18 like i said man people keep people aren't even a fucking adult your brain isn't even fully developed until you're 25 so you know you want to kick an 18 year old out of your house you're kicking them out when they're like 18 you're mm-hmm. kicking them out when they're still a child you know so i've set them more years of fucking development before they can even really think for themselves so I don't know. I just think it's, it's, I don't, I just wish people wouldn't be made to feel ashamed of, you know, I'm like so sick of the trope, the joke of like somebody being in their fucking mom's basement, you know, Oh, you're in your fucking mom's basement. I don't know. It's as tired. as <laughs> yeah. like the, Oh, I hate my wife. She's such a bitch. You know, it's like the same fucking tired joke, you know, it's, it's just dumb. Nobody, you know, like, Live with your parents until you're 30. Everybody, live with your parents until you're 30. That's my message. <laughs> yeah. Stay with your parents. You know, unless, you can... they're, unless they're bad and gross and then get. Have you ever seen Grandma's Boy? Yeah. He's <laughs> like, he's in his pajamas and like, he's, he's like, your bed's a car. He's like, it's a fucking sweet car. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> he refers to his parents as roommates. His roommates. <laughs> well, cool, man. I want to I want to kind of come back and, and wrap up. But I, if you don't mind, I'd like to take our final break. Okay. Is that cool? Okay. All right, everybody. We will be right back. It's time to get serious about your drug or alcohol problem. It's going to cost you your job, your marriage, your family, and possibly your life. The Gateway Foundation has helped over 1 million people just like you free themselves from addiction. But we can't help you if you don't call us. One of our counselors is ready to have a confidential conversation with you right now at 1-877-629-4829. 1-877-629-4829. Call 1-877-629-4829. Visit gatewayfoundation.org before it's too late. Coming clean about their past. I don't even know what I'm doing. Keep moving forward. I mean, this stuff is way too advanced for me. Keep moving forward. And what if I can't fix this? What are we going to do? Keep moving forward. Why do you keep saying that? And don't just say keep moving forward. It's my dad's motto. Why would his motto be keep moving forward? It's what he does. What's that supposed to mean? That is an excellent question. This is Recovery Uncensored with Ty Beckel. We are back again here with Mike. Mm -hmm. I can't thank you enough um, for coming and sharing your story. So, you know, um, we can say bravely. I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this show and um, I'm always intrigued by learning uh, about our guests and their ups and downs because everybody's got a little bit something that's a little bit different, uh, but it always seems like it's the same. There's that 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 big uh, similarity yeah. that's in there. So um, 
you know, and I, and I love that you point out, you know, living with your aunt, dad, try to get on your feet. And shortly after that, uh, I mean, what was it? Is that when you went to Washington? How, how did you end up in Washington State? Um, was actually, so it was during uh, my relapse. So I was staying uh, with this girl in her basement. Um, me and my friend were both staying there. I was sleeping on a dirty mattress in a basement. Um, the the walls were like OSB board that I could hear mice scratching around behind. And it was like whispering you know, to you like, Mike, was, hey, Mike. Yeah, it was like a horror movie. Like, I mean, you know, pee in a cup, pour it in the in the little drain for the um, for the air conditioner, you know, that sort of thing, you know. Spend a lot of time in bed. And um, so I had a, I just started talking to this girl on Facebook. She was another um, writer and I liked her, you know, she was really wary about it and is really careful. You know, um, she's also in recovery and she had about six months at that point and I was in the middle of relapse. And so I kept trying to talk to her and she's not, she's very deflective about it, you know. Um, being careful, you know. So yeah, when I, once I had moved into my aunt, uh, we had started talking more, and it just kind of developed from there. And I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of things that I think are really that we think are really cute and special about our entire romantic story, you know. And and other people say they agree, you know. But it's I think it's that imposter syndrome again. I'm like, <laughs> you guys think it's cute, but I don't. You don't really do you. So yeah, we talked for a while and ended up um, being in a relationship. She came to visit me on uh, well, it was Halloween, uh, so it was great. It was kind of fun, yeah. So I got to say, is literally she flew in, showed up. I took her to my aunt's. We took a nap, and then went out trick or treating. And she met my entire family within you know two hours of of meeting. Kind of you were kind of rip off. Hey, let's just yeah. rip off the man and get it done and over with. Yeah, yeah. So she, yeah. And um, she has uh, she has like skeletal deformities, so her feet are are messed up. They were. She's gotten some reconstruction on her feet um, recently, and so she was like rode in the car. And one of the first things my mom says to her, she sits in the car. And she says, "So you gonna marry my son?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so yeah, she did. She did. We got married on my aunt's farm on the front porch. That's really cool. Yeah, it was it's pretty neat. Yeah. And so yeah, so we went and moved out there for a while, stayed with her dad, but eventually it just got to the point where I wanted to be closer to my family. Um my son, when I got in trouble, my sister had take I called my sister and she had taken my son. I went and I did my entire service plan with, you know, DCFS and it took me about 2 years. I got to the end of it and it was actually the day of court when I probably would have gotten like a return date for my son that I had made the decision to sign a directed consent for my sister to adopt him, which was just completed. They finally finished the adoption about, I don't know, six months ago, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe if that even. So that was, um, that is one thing I'd like to, if the listeners take anything from this, I, I, I know that there's like a reason for it. And there's a lot of pressure. The, the most of the pressure comes for, for mothers like adoption is frowned upon and a lot of mothers especially have to deal with that that i would do anything for my kids and how could a woman not do like sometimes doing what's best for your kids is is letting them go and making the decision that that's how i like let him go <laughs> like i i still have a relationship with my son he still knows that i'm his biological father I'm blessed in that sense how old is he today he's a six yeah so i'm and i'm blessed that like i don't i don't think that i would deal with i don't think people would be as understanding with me if if i was a woman if i was a mother they have been you know at least they are to my face maybe that imposter syndrome again i might think they're full of shit but um i I do think that i think that like adoption a lot of people you know it is such a huge sacrifice for people to make for a child. I hope people are like, learn to be less judgmental about that, you know, and just sort of like non-traditional familial relationships in general. Cool. Yeah. So your, your sister has full, full custody over him. Right. And and you still get to see. Yep. I'm she's mom 
uh, her husband is dad and I am daddy Mike. And, and, you know, like you said, it's not traditional, but it sounds like it was a decision that you put some thought behind and, and kind of said, you know, this, I think this might be f- for the best. Yeah. It was important for me to complete the service plan and to do what to see. So maybe it was selfish. Maybe like I needed that motivation, that goal mm. to like complete and really get my shit together. But I felt like I wanted to, before I made that decision to have done everything I could. And I did do everything. I mean, it was like pretty much a guarantee that, you know, I'd done everything on the service plan. Um, and I would have gotten custody back, but I just made a decision that it was best for him. Um, you know, he looked at his, his cousins as his siblings already. He'd grown up there and I just thought that it was the right thing to do. So didn't want to uproot him from what he became comfortable with. Yeah. yeah. That's great stuff, man. And, um, you're back here mm-hmm. and you're doing construction. You're you got, uh, three and a half years mm-hmm. recovery and, uh, you're doing some writing. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of had a private conversation and about a project that I would love to work with you on. Yeah. And um, we'll kind of keep that under uh, under lock and key. Keep it a mystery. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I really look forward to doing that with you, that that writing project. Yeah. Um, and I know you do have something. What? Something, a short story of yours got published, right? Was it a short story, a novella? I had a piece of flash fiction published fairly recently in an anthology called Breaking Bizarro that was one of um was actually one of the first stories that I sent to um the woman who's now my wife and it's and uh it's like one of the things that made her fall for me because it it's like it's really gross. It's about a guy who um sneezes fat and the fat becomes a sent a sentient worm that eats people. So yeah, it's it's pretty gross. I uh, I do have recently um coming up. We don't we're not sure when it's gonna be out yet. But uh, my friend and I are both involved in an anthology to uh to benefit for a charity that benefits sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called The Big Book of Little Deaths. That's still coming together. Don't it's already got a cover and just got to kind of like I've got to finish my story. I know that. And then uh, recently I was in a. An anthology called uh, Yearning to Breathe Free, which was a charity anthology. It's like what I do a lot of is charity anthologies. Which is weird because I didn't know that. And then when I reached out to you about this project, (laughs) you were like, hey, yeah. Yeah, that's mostly what I've been doing lately. I just, uh, my life is so busy. I haven't been, I used to do a lot of like, you know, you go, you find open calls for submissions and, and then I would write something for whatever themed anthology and you know, just like doing pay kind of stuff like that. But just recently, it's just, uh, it's my life is so full that. Yeah, it's hard to keep up when you got a full-time job and everything. Yeah, I just kind of rather just do stuff for charity and just, you know, feel good That's about cool. it. Yeah. But yeah, the, the Yearning Breathe Free is, is still out. That's a, that is benefits families, people being in custody at the border. Races is the name of the, is the name of the, uh, charity that it benefits yeah man i had i had something published in uh, are you familiar with uh, sirens calls publications that sounds familiar they do like a, it got published in their uh, e-zine their internet magazine uh-huh. uh, for the short that it was the first thing that i submitted and i felt comfortable <laughs> submitting and yeah. it got accepted because i thought i was like oh shit i'm gonna submit this they're not gonna want this and they accepted it and i'm like you know they sent it back said hey there's just some some plot holes and they said Fix yeah. us up. We'd love, love to run it. So it's fulfilling to write something and then yeah. uh, give it. Because mine was a, it's a kind of horror thriller about, it's called Silva's Pet. Uh-huh. It's about this dream monster that controls this billionaire uh, narcissist. And he, you can't really delineate, is it fact fiction or like, yeah. is it really this dark other dimension? Or is this guy just a little... You know, kind of like American Psycho, you know, Christian Bell and American Psycho. Is he he fabricating all this stuff that's going on? So I was really excited, man. And I think that's, um, I think that's really exciting what what you uh, published. And I would love to get it and throw the links and stuff uh, to the the books on on our Facebook page. Yeah, I'll get you that. Yeah. And um, so things are going relatively good for you today. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. And I think that's amazing, man. And, you know, I just, it's. The bizarro world, uh, you know, like, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, traditional, Uh you know, they don't know much. I I would say, I shouldn't say you don't know much. A lot of people around here aren't that familiar with 
the bizarro genre and it's yeah. uh you know carlton uh malik right carlton malik the third yeah. yeah it's got a lot of great stuff even uh, a mutual friend of ours kevin strange has got mm-hmm. some really great he's got a huge collection of, of fiction and there's just so many great people it's a uh, you know, and like through that that ex- excursion of mine, you know, I met a lot of people from b- the Bizarro community. Um, and again, it gets hard to keep up with everybody with everything going on and writing, yeah. you know, and I've always wanted to be a writer. And I think that's so cool that we get to kind of share that because I've read your stuff. And like I told you, I don't think you believed me <laughs> when I told you that me and Corey, our, our friend Corey, we were talking uh, yeah. about your writing and we just thought how fantastic you are. And when you wrote me back in Facebook messenger, I could, I could see it now. I could see, well, yeah, thanks. You know, like you didn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. But, a- and you are. And, and I hope that one day that you, you know, the universe allows you to believe that because <laughs> you are, you're a very talented writer and uh, I look forward to seeing your future work. And I'm very, very honored to have you here. Mm-hmm. So we're getting ready to wrap up. Is there anything that you would like to kind of close with for any of the listeners? Yeah, sure. Okay. So one time, when I was hospitalized um, to have my abscesses removed, right? Uh, this is a fun anecdote. I uh, They had a pick line in me, right? It's a line that goes directly to your heart. So, of course, I didn't stop doing dope. And I injected dope directly into my heart. So, uh, one, t- one day, right? So, I wanted to be really careful, right? Because I want to be very sanitary. Because you want to be really safe when you're doing street drugs through a medical (laughs) installment in your body. So I would use saline. So I mixed a cup of saline, right? In a styrofoam cup. And I had a cup of Diet Mountain Dew in a styrofoam cup. Okay. I I think I know where this is going. I grabbed the wrong cup. I injected Diet Mountain Dew directly into my heart and almost died. Because of Diet Mountain Dew? Because of after two years of doing heroin i almost killed myself with diet mountain dew that's i don't want to laugh but you know i think that's something that it's like it's funny in retrospect yeah <laughs> yeah it's like wow mountain yeah. dew was was what was almost going to take you out carbon dioxide is bad for your heart yeah i don't know if you knew that <laughs> yeah well i'm glad that it didn't and i'm glad that you're here and you're able to write and you're able to be married with your with your wife mm-hmm. and um do a job that the construction job that is interesting and sounds like it's fun. I mean, at least I think so. Cause I would love to be able to build stuff and maybe right. one day you can show me a few things. Yeah. yeah. Grass is always greener though. Right. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Real people, real stories, all uncensored. This, this is recovery, recovery uncensored, uncensored with Ty Beckel. Beckel. If you-